No one comes to the Father but through Him. And this is why the gospel is the good news. Death no longer has any power over Jesus. Therefore, it no longer has any power over you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you're believing for anything else from God, you're believing for small stuff. Inspiration for today. Let's pray together. Repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to my life, that you would minister to my heart. And I pray that your word will be revealed to me today in such a way that I understand it, so that I can declare it and do it and see it change my life. Lord, I believe there are open heavens over my life to shower your blessings down on me right now. I am open and alert to what you have for me today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking about the marks of a true Christian. And I want you to think about these marks. And we've been speaking for a few weeks about love and mercy. The first mark is love, and then it's love and mercy because mercy is what flows out of love. We've been, we've been looking at um, Romans chapter 12, verse 10 to 13. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, <coughs> rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Love requires work. Because of love, you're prepared to work. Why is a Christian going to go out and tell other people about Jesus? It's because the love of God fills their heart. If there is no love of God inside of your heart, there will be no desire inside of you to go and tell anyone about Jesus. Unless the compassion of the Lord fills your heart, you will not care about those who do not know Jesus. And in this past week, we had a meeting here with pastors, with Pastor Bert on Wednesday, and he was telling the pastors, if a Christian does not tell those they know do not know Jesus about the gospel, that that person is cruel, that that person has no mercy. Because the greatest act of mercy that I can give to anyone, let's say it's someone that has done stuff wrong to me, is not to forgive them. The greatest act of mercy I can do is to share the gospel with them. Because me forgiving them is not going to help them if they end up down under, if you understand what I'm saying. And when I say down under, I'm not talking about Australia. We're talking about down there in the place no one wants to go to, in the place the Lord doesn't even want people to go to. And what we spoke about last week was the fact that forgiveness actually comes out of mercy and love. Why do we forgive? Why why did God forgive us? God forgave us, well, according to Ephesians 2 verse 4 and 5, but God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. 
So the, 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 the entire story of the cross, the account of what happened on Calvary, the blood of Jesus, every drop of the blood of Jesus being shed for you and for I, came out of the love of God. The, the fact that God worked out a way to be able to forgive us and keep justice at the same time comes out of His incredible love for us. And then we went and we spoke about the relationship between mercy and grace. And I want to encourage you to go and have a look at last week's sermon if you didn't hear it. But there's a reason why Paul in Titus 1 verse 4 said to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Why did he say grace, mercy, and peace? Everything that we have access to comes by the grace of God. Salvation comes to us by the grace of God. Mercy, mercy deals with the punishment. Grace deals with the sin. And it's very important that you understand that. Because if you don't understand that, then you cannot understand the relationship between mercy and justice. People think mercy and justice are two contradictory things. No, without justice you cannot have mercy. If you have mercy without justice, it is a false mercy. I, I want you to think about one of the things that happens in our nation today is the amount of women that get raped or the amount of children that are sexually abused or the amount of people that get murdered. Now how can you say there's mercy and justice if that rapist or that child abuser or that murderer if what they did is not punished if what they did is not punished then what you have is injustice and injustice breeds more injustice and eventually you've got the mess that we see in our nation and on our continent injustice breeds injustice sin breeds death and the fact of the matter is if there is no justice, you're dead in your sin anyway. And that's why Psalm 85 verse 10 says, Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Now when you look at that, there are many Christians that think you can live your life and because of what Jesus did on the cross for you, anything you do is okay. Anything you do goes. And because so many Christians believe that, that is why South Africa is in the mess it's in, even though there's so many Christians here. Because Christians believe that because of the cross, sin is okay. No, sin is that bad, and sin is that destructive that the only way that God could save us was to send Jesus to die for us on the cross. The only way to save us was that Jesus would have every drop of his blood shed for us in a most excruciating death, in a most terrible way. Sin is that bad. And then what you also need to realize, and this is what's not been spoken of too often by us Christians today 
is repentance. Repentance is a swear word. The first thing that comes out of many Christians' mouth when you talk about repentance is they say, no, no, you are legalistic. And I want to tell you that God has called us to repentance. And I want you to realize today God's call to repentance. And at the end, I'm going to speak about something because maybe you're getting your back up as you hear about this because many times today we get our back up because we don't want to be accountable to anyone for anything. We don't want to repent and we want to be our own gods and live our own lives and make up our own rules. And so the moment we talk about repentance, our backs are up. And what we don't realize is that when our backs are up and we refuse to repent, we're putting ourselves in the worst situation possible. And the reason why I say that is because to expect to enter the circle of God's mercy without repenting from our sin is wishful thinking. If you do not repent of your sin, if you do not change, then it is wishful thinking to think that you're entering into the sin of God's mercy. You are not. Repentance is a requirement before salvation. If you don't believe that, please understand, you do not believe the Bible. Please understand, the Bible does not frame your thinking. Please understand, you're making up your own Bible. God's mercy apart from repentance from sin is a false gospel. And if you go and you study the New Testament, you will find quite a few places where the question is asked, which Jesus do you serve? Because if you think that Jesus died for our sin just to leave us the way we are, and just to leave us living our lives the way we've always been living our lives, then at the end of the day, you do not understand the gospel, and you do not understand why sin is a problem to you. Sin is a problem to you because sin is going to kill you. The reason that your physical body is going to die is because of sin. The reason why there's sickness in the world is because of sin. Everything that is wrong in the world is there because of sin. And if you do not repent, you're not repenting of that which is in the world, then what you will not have is the alternative which Jesus offered us through the cross, which is eternal life. God offers nothing but merciless justice on those who will not turn from their sin to Jesus. You see, when you turn to Jesus, you've got to turn from your sin. You can't continue looking at the world. You can't continue wanting to have what the world has. Because if you want what the world has, you will get it. It is death. I don't care how awesome the platform is. I don't care how famous you might become. I don't care how many followers you may have on social media. I don't care what's happening. Whatever is of the world is death. If you became the Secretary General of the United Nations, let me tell you, what is of the world will lead to death. I do not care how high the mountain is that you climb or how low the valley or the donga is that you go into. At the end of the day, at the end of sin is always death. And the problem is, is that sometimes people commit suicide thinking they're escaping the consequences of their sin 
but they wake up to the judgment of Almighty God, which is eternal. You can't even escape the, uh, the, the, the consequences of sin by dying. The only death that can get you to, to escape the consequences of sin is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's why the mercy of God is available to us. And your good works will not bring you salvation. You cannot work your way into heaven, nor presuming that God's goodness will bring you the entrance into heaven. Because God will let me into heaven because he's a good person. How can a loving God put me in hell? The funny thing is, the people who say that don't say that for the rapist. If he raped their wife or their sister or something like that. Or raped them. Or murdered a loved one. All of a sudden, this, this thing about how can a loving God put people in hell just goes out the window because now we want revenge. You need to repent and be saved. In Matthew 2.38, this is what Peter, and Peter, he hammered those Jews, eh? When he was standing there on the day of Pentecost, he absolutely hammered those Jews. He said to them, this Jesus came to do all of this stuff for you, and you crucified him. You are guilty. You, you crucified the Lord himself on the cross at Calvary. You did it. You, you did it. If they were South Africans, they would have said, ah, ah. You know how Saviors will go? Either there would have been a riot or they would have walked out or a mixture. But these guys, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit brought conviction to the point where they were cut to the heart. And they came to Peter realizing what they had done because they knew what they had done to Jesus just a few weeks before. They knew that Jesus was raising the dead. He was healing the lepers. He was getting the lame to walk and the blind to see and the deaf to hear. They knew that Jesus spoke with an authority that they'd never heard of before. They knew who Jesus was. And yet they crucified him anyway. You see, just because you know that Jesus is real doesn't mean you're going to turn from your sin. And so now they say, what do we do? We're finished. We crucified God himself. What do we do? And in Acts 2.38 it says, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The mercy of God is not grounded only in his love, but also in his justice. It is not grounded in feelings. It is grounded in the atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he shed that blood, he paid the penalty for our sin. And that blood that Jesus shed cleanses us from our sin. But not if we still want to do it. Not if we still want to live in it. Not if we're still stuck in it by our own choice, by our own decision. We have to say, I want out. You cannot get out. Jesus will pull you out if you throw yourself at his mercy. Without being punished, without our sin being punished, and without our sin being removed out of our lives, even the least of our sin 
would eternally separate us from Almighty God. The smallest sin you've ever committed, the littlest one, the tiniest one, you know, the little white lie. Or you know, you never gave someone the right change. Or you know, someone gave you money for something and they gave you too much and you knew it and you kept quiet. Even the littlest sin will separate you from God eternally. And Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sins so that God can show mercy to all sinners. God wants to show mercy to all sinners. And on the cross, Jesus satisfied God's justice. And through faith in that sacrifice, God opens up the floodgates of his mercy for any of us who will repent and believe and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The floodgates of the mercy of God open and his mercy pours onto us and soaks us to the point where we are so wet that everywhere we go, the mercy of God just splashes onto everyone around us. The good news of the gospel is not that God forsook justice or that he overlooked sin. It's not that he compromised righteousness. God never compromised anything. The good news is that in the shedding of Christ's blood, justice was satisfied, sin was forgiven, righteousness was fulfilled, and mercy was made available to every person who wants it. But note that it's every person who wants it. Those who don't want it won't receive it. And so therefore, if you end up in hell, you chose it. For the mercy is available for you. But you must give up your desire for the world. There's never an excuse for sin. I don't care what excuse you have for any sin that you've committed. Notice when you sin how many times you go and you excuse it. And you make up a reason. And you come up with some reasons why it happened. And you, you don't want anyone even to say anything to you about it. Because at the end of the day... You don't, you, you, your, your pride prevents you from accepting accountability for what you've done. So there's, but there's, here's the thing, there's never an excuse for sin, but there's always a solution. And that solution is Jesus. He is the solution. He is the one and only solution. And mercy is more than forgiveness and less than love. Mercy is different from grace, but it's one with justice. Mercy and justice are like this. They go together. When you accept Jesus, justice has been done for all of your sin. Jesus paid the price. The unmerciful will not receive mercy from God. I want to say that again. The unmerciful will not receive mercy from God listen to what David says in Psalm 119 verse 14 to 16 he said let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out let them be continually before the Lord that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth because he did not remember to show mercy but persecuted the poor and needy man that he may even slay the broken in heart. 
David was angry there about someone that had sinned. But his anger wasn't for retaliation. He wanted, he wanted that that man and his family know that they do not deserve mercy because they themselves are not merciful. I want you to listen now. The Apostle Paul talks about godless men. What, what constitutes godless men in Romans 1 verse 29 to 32? And we looked at this last year. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy. Now listen here. Unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgments of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but approve of those who practice them. How many times have you heard out of your mouth where you have exhorted someone to continue their un unforgiving attitude to another person because you think that what that person did was wrong? He talks about a whole lot of bad stuff, and then the last things he talks about, and, and you know, when, when, when a person does a list, it's like the things build up, they build up, and then he crowns it off with unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. I want to tell you, when you're unmerciful, you are nothing like God. And if you think about how many times you've been unmerciful just this year, you will throw yourself at the feet of God every single morning when you get up because you will realize how much you need Jesus. You will realize how much you need the mercy of God. Mercilessness is the crowning marker of those who reject God's mercy. The further someone is from God, the less mercy they have. If you don't have mercy in your heart, if you are not forgiving, if you are not letting things go, if you are allowing things to build up inside of you like this, if you are not loving those that have cursed you, if you are not blessing those that have smashed you, it is a sign in your character and in your actions and in your attitudes that you are far from God. The way to happiness is through mercy. The way, to, the way to misery is through cruelty. In Psalm 11 verse 17, The merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. You know that the merciful person, and my wife's going to love this one, is even kind to animals. Whereas the merciless person is cruel to everything. Proverbs 12 verse 10 says, A righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Even the way you treat animals tells you how close you are to God. If you look at how animals are treated in our nation, many people are far from God. And Jesus warns us, and I want you to listen, He warns us who claim to belong to Him but have not served the hungry, who have not served the thirsty, who have not been there for the stranger, who have not clothed the naked, who have not been there for the sick, who have not looked after the imprisoned. He says you will not enter the kingdom of God. 
In Matthew 24, 41-45, He says, Then He will say to those on His left hand, Depart from Me. You, cur- you, you, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, in so much as you did not do that for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Now, at the end of the day, when Jesus changes your heart, your attitude changes. Listen to James chapter 2, verse 10 to 13. He says, Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. For he who said, Do not come out do not commit adultery, also said do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Judgment, so mercy triumphs over judgment. And I I, want to I want to say this to you, and then I want to speak about something that's just happened over this weekend. But in the midst of our corrupt world, in the midst of our ego-centered world, and our selfish society, a selfish society that tells us to grab everything we can get, the voice of God tells us to give everything we can give. The true value and the true character of mercy is in giving. It's in giving compassion. It's in giving help. It's in giving time. It's in giving forgiveness, giving money, giving of ourselves. The children of the King of Kings are merciful. The children of God are merciful. And those who are merciless face judgment. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Now I want you to look at me. That thing that mercy triumphs over judgment seems like such a bad thing. Tell the person next to you, it seems like such a bad thing. Until you look at yourself standing before God. And then when when you're facing God, then you'll be so glad that mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, we always like to complain about this until such time as the accountability is focused on us. Now, something that's tremendously challenging is this. We were at pastors and leaders training, and overnight Friday in Deepsworth, this news came out. It is with sadness to inform that one of our churches in Deepsworth was attacked by criminals at 1 a.m. last night. One pastor was shot in the chest and later died in the clinic. Two others were shot and are critical in hospital. We call all the pastors and leaders to unite to a solution for this crisis. We are to meet tomorrow at 3 p.m. venue to be confirmed. Blessings, Bishop Lotti. I know Bishop Lotti. 
Now I want you to think, guys, we're in a church doing an overnight prayer vigil. Criminals running. They shoot the past in the chest. He was by the pulpit. Two others are seriously wounded. The pastor's passed away. He was a young pastor. I've also seen some people on Twitter are saying they're blaming the attack on Zimbabweans, but I know that in Deep Cert, the, the the Zimbabwean pastors are having the worst of it. So people are talking nonsense, saying this is all the Zimbabweans, when the Zimbabweans are getting the worst of it. I'm not saying there aren't any Zimbabweans involved. Some of them are. But they're getting hit the worst. And there's also been a rising specter of attacks and chasing Christians out of areas and things like that. It's not only happening in Dipson. And I want you to think about that. And we've also had the news that came out beginning of 2021 and has died down, but it still continues in the north of Mozambique where Al-Shabaab are coming and their aim is to wipe out every Christians in the north of Mozambique. And while South Africans are all confident, I don't know in what, I mean, looking at Eskimo, I don't know what they, but they, they're confident. They're carrying on as if everything's going to be fine just so much. And, and I'm telling you, you better roll your sleeves up and start getting the gospel out there. Trust me, it, it, without people getting saved, it's not going to get better. But now, the challenge that I faced, in my heart, what is it you want to do? You want to organize weapons, go find the people and sort them out. That's in our nature what we want to do. Every time something like this happens, that's what we want to do. Anytime someone dies and we don't understand why they died, that's what we want to do. Whether it be through sickness, maybe a rape and a murder, whatever. I mean, the, the guys doing the work of the Lord, they're in a prayer meeting, praying for the community. That's what they were doing. They were praying for the violence that's been going on in Deepsworth. And now you have your natural reaction that wants to lash out. Now we look at what the Bible teaches on mercy. So Romans 5 verse 3 and 4. When we suffer like that, what does the Bible say? Not only that, but we boast in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. You know what Paul's saying? As Christians, the only way to get hope, and hope is in eternity. Hope is in the new Jerusalem. Hope is in the fact that Jesus is coming back for his church. How do we build hope? Through suffering. The suffering produces endurance. The endurance produces character. And the character produces hope. I've studied this in the Bible, but when you start talking about hope in eternity, the only way to get there is through suffering. Very popular message today. Very popular. You know, too many times, Nikki, Nikki, your name's Nikki, right? I see cars. I see fountains. I see gold-plated taps. Stick to the Lord. 
and stick to me. That's what people flock to. Let's be honest, that's what people are flocking to. Nikki, fall over. Fall over. Go down, boy. Go down. I'm going to go again. You must go down. On the floor. <laughs> Except I must have told him before. You understand what I'm saying? It's easy to do that. It's very easy to do that. You can do it like this. Many times that's what's happening when you go to these churches. Nikki, down he goes. <gasps> what? I see a Nikki. Nikki, what is your name? Nikki. Oh. That is selfish. And people going to church for selfish motives. That's why people fall for that nonsense. Because they're selfish. And let me tell you, the Bible says, how are you going to get hope? And I'm talking about hope for eternity because I'm not talking about anything else. It's purely hope. Hope starts when we suffer. And we have to start putting our trust in anything other than this life. That's where hope starts. Hope starts with suffering. What does suffering produce? Endurance. <laughs> oh, we love that one. I mean, if you see, think about someone who goes to gym, they pump and they do this and they do that. What do they build up after all? Endurance. Endurance produces character. Why? It's only when you have built character through endurance that you become consistent. That people come to you today and you're still doing the same thing you were five years ago and you're still following the Lord and serving the Lord. And only when you have character will you develop hope. Because when you have character, you can hope in God in spite of what's going on around you. John 16, 33. This is Jesus speaking. Tell those next to you, this is Jesus speaking. It's not Pastor Gavin. This is what Jesus says. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. The NIV says trouble. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Do you know we read that verse at funerals? When, when, when you're talking at a funeral of a family who's lost a loved one, that verse becomes very relevant. Because you will face tribulation. But be of good cheer. In other words, be happy because I have overcome the world. If you're facing me, you will overcome the world and you will overcome no matter what the circumstances. No matter what happens, you will overcome. Come on, say amen, somebody. Amen. amen. And then the last one, James 5, 13 to 16. Are there any believers in your fellowship suffering great hardship and distress? Okay, so anyone who says to you that people don't suffer in the church, they must go and tell the apostle James that, who was the brother of Jesus and became the earliest leader of the church in Jerusalem. There's a guy, Andy Stanley, and he once told me, one of the, not told me, told a, a group of us, a group of pastors once, and he said, um, the reason I believe that the gospel is right is because James was the brother of Jesus. And if if your brother says you're God, you must be God. 
Imagine Nick says you're God, John. If, if Nick says God's, uh, John is God, then John must be God. So this is what he writes. Is there, are there any believers suffering great hardship and distress in your fellowship? Then he says this. Encourage them to pray. Oh, wow, I'm so excited now. Encourage them to pray. So what is the answer? If you're suffering, you, the church should encourage you to pray. Not say, Nikki. <laughs> All right? Goes on, gets worse. Are there happy, cheerful ones among you? Encourage them to sing out of their praises. So when you're happy, you should be praising God. You should be praising Him like it's going out of crash. And then he says this, Are there any sick among you? Then ask the elders of the church to come and to pray over the sick and anoint them with oil in the name of our Lord. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if they have committed sins, they will be forgiven. Confess and acknowledge how you have offended one another and then pray for one another to be instantly healed. For tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. So now when this deep sweat thing has happened, that says when people are sick, we should pray for them. So now that the test is, are you still going to pray? Or are you going to say, God, you said we must pray. Now look, they were busy praying. They were in the inner service. They got shot. Well, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather be, I mean, I'm, I'm not asking to be shot, but I'd rather be where that pastor is. Think of where he is now. Think of what he was doing. Imagine now he's there in heaven and people ask him how he died. You what? Yeah, they shot me in the chest. I was busy. I was leading a prayer meeting. I was preaching and praying. Imagine the size of the crowd as you listen to his story. But you see, it's only if, if you have the hope of heaven that you're going to believe that and you're still going to pray for the country and you're still going to pray for the sick and you're still going to have faith no matter what you see, no matter what you experience. You see, faith is not determined by your circumstances. Faith is not determined by what you go through. Faith is not determined by those who attack you. Faith is not determined by illnesses and things that happen that we don't understand. Faith is determined by belief in the Word. And the Word says, the Word says, Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Why is it important that you have hope? Because if you're a family member of that pastor or you're a family member of one of the other people who are in hospital or you're a family member or, or you're a, a member of that church or you, you're in the community where that church is, unless you have real hope, how do you forgive? How do you forgive that? And I'm sorry, we live in South Africa. There's a lot of bullets here. 
this stuff can affect us at any time. And if you go back to World War I and World War II and many of the other wars that have been fought, nowhere in the Bible does it say the Christians are spared the bullets. Because our hope is not in this world. That doesn't mean we don't build and we don't believe and we don't trust. But I still want you to remember this. Faith is for today. Faith is not for the future. Your faith is for today. Hope is for eternity. But your faith must be built on your hope. Without faith, it is impossible to get to heaven. In Romans 10 verse 8 and 9 it says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. I want you to think about that. pastor went to lead a prayer meeting and he left there by leaving his body if that were to happen to you today will you go where that pastor went because of his faith in Jesus You need to answer that question and you need to deal with your eternity right now. Because any of us are just one step away from eternity.